saying good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, depending upon where you are on this rotating globe. Welcome to another, tonight, a very special edition of The Other Side of Midnight. Tonight, we're memorializing a dear friend and colleague who left 3D about a year ago, slightly over a year ago, and uh, we're going to try to do her memory and her continuity justice, and I say that with all good intentions because I have first-hand data that she's out there somewhere on the other side because I've had a lot of data over the last several years since Robin unceremoniously left, so I have a feeling that <laughs> Carmen probably is going to be listening and kind of watching what every one of us is going to do, and we have some very special commemorations of her work, her character, her drive, her determination, and her mission. But before we get to any of that, uh, we have some very important news, uh, both close at home and half a world away. So let me get to that to start with. We have, it. it well, see, how do I enter to this? It's happened again. Um, about a week ago, uh, the U.S. government watched as this extraordinary Chinese spy balloon drifted from sea to shining sea, and the Biden administration shot it down a few miles off uh, North Carolina, uh, and then we are in the process, I imagine. I've, I've seen news reports that we're still recovering pieces uh, in a rather large area. The U.S. Navy is doing this in about 47 feet of water, and it's been taken to Quantico and other laboratories, and there is a post-mission uh, you know, uh, mission analysis of what were the Chinese up to. And there are some, some reports of antennas and surveillance and all that kind of thing. Well, two days ago, or was it? No, it was yesterday. Another strange object, not a balloon, it was termed officially by the Pentagon an object, the size of a car was shot down uh, just off the Aleutian Islands, entering into the airspace and 12-mile uh, uh, limit of Alaska. And the pieces apparently fell on ice, so they're in the process also be recovered. Well, this afternoon, hours later, over the Yukon, the Prime Minister of Canada in an announcement and then a conversation with President Biden announced that the Canadian Air Force, with the assistance of the United States Air Force, had shot down a third object that had drifted or appeared over Canada, over the Yukon. Now, these last two objects are not described as spy balloons, surveillance balloons. They were, the one over Alaska was much lower the balloon, as you know, was around 60,000 feet. The object of uh, entering American airspace uh, on Saturday was at uh, 40,000, which is in the realm of where commercial airliners fly. So the Pentagon said that the reason for shooting it down was that it was interfering and potentially uh, impending and hazardous condition with commercial airline traffic, which, of course, is true. We know very little about this third object. If you click on my first item in Radio with Pictures, uh, this is a story from The Independent, 
which was updated about an hour ago to include the latest object, this appears to be a trend. Now, remember what I said um, last week, that just because something looks like a balloon, it might be another player in the UFO game showing up and pretending to be a balloon so they can do their own kind of, um, you know, camouflage surveillance. Well, it's interesting that the Pentagon now says that these two other objects are not balloons, but are in the unidentified aerial phenomenon category. Uh, we're going to get into a lot more on this tomorrow night, but uh, I wanted to lead tonight so you can kind of go to those news items, do your own search. By tomorrow, there could be more. We seem to be in some kind of a trend. I'm not quite sure what the trend is, but again, um, there are other folks prowling around our airspace than Russians and Chinese and spy balloon. So with that as a proviso, we will move on and we will again uh, catch you up on the latest as of tomorrow night's program. Item number two, there are now over 25,000 dead in the Turkey-Syrian earthquake and it is a death toll that is among the worst in history. Uh, it is surpassing now the 2011 Japanese quake. And fortunately, we have a man on the scene because Tim Saunders, who was one of our participants tonight, one of the panelists, who has worked with our friend Carmen. Uh, she and uh, He and Kinthea worked with Carmen on her last project. Um, Tim is in Turkey. As you know, he is a nautical designer. He is also a filmographer. He is a film producer, or is it maybe these days they call it video or whatever. Anyway, he happens to live in Turkey and so is able to report from on scene uh, what the latest there. Tim, I'm sorry to introduce you under such tragic circumstances, but what is the condition tonight? Actually, it's early morning there for you on Sunday morning in terms of current rescue efforts for those still buried under the rubble. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, the, the numbers are probably increasing sort of uh, on, on the threshold of the 30,000 now. Oh, my. And uh, I have to say that there's quite a large diversity between what you see on the mainstream news and what you hear from uh, sort of first-hand or second or third-hand contacts with people actually have relations. I, I'm sitting very, uh, you know, very safely on the West Coast, and this is absolutely on the complete other opposite side of the country, on the east, uh, southeast corner of Turkey. So uh, there were no seismic happenings here, and also I spent most of the week in the middle of Turkey, in the south of Turkey. I say the middle, south of Turkey, and again, there were no seismic happenings there, I'm, I'm thankful to say. But, you know, along the way, a lot of people have um, connections, families, friends, and so on, people living in that part of Turkey. And uh, what I was hearing was that the, you know, the the initial seismic events were, were large. They're sort of seven plus. And I understand that that's a magnitude now. It's not necessarily... Uh, classified in the same way as it used to be as on the Richter scale. So maybe that's a point worth discussing at some later in the show. But they were huge. Uh, and the area that these uh, quakes and also multiple hundreds 
I think reporting the hundreds of aftershocks were all in the same sort of 400 millimeter, uh, 400 kilometer radius. So what's that in mathematics in in, <laughs> in feet, inches and miles? I don't know, but it's, it's a large area. Uh, in there, there were 10 cities. I mean, obviously villages and towns as well, but people speak of 10 cities, um, four of which very, very badly damaged. And as I say, out of the 10, you know, there's a large amount of damage caused to those as well. Well, I've seen reports that there are something like 80,000 who are injured on a wide spectrum of injuries, and then another several million who are homeless, who are displaced, <clears throat> who have no buildings, no apartments, no houses, because they've collapsed. And there's a mounting furor in the Turkish government regarding building standards, and apparently they've turned off the internet so that people, citizens, can't complain about the government's slow response. I, I think that the, the social media has been, uh, should we say, selectively switched off uh, in order to yeah, quieten down the people or just let, um, or perhaps even hide information as well. Obviously, it's a two-sided knife. Um, but in the beginning, social media was being used to actually track people and find people uh, trapped in the rubble. Imagine that there's just a sea of rubble, and perhaps those some of those people who were running in the middle of the night to, to save their lives, maybe they just grabbed one thing and that was their telephone. And of course, the telephone maybe have limited battery power. Uh, and that's the other thing as well. It's very cold in that corner of uh, Turkey. Oh my. And this event that happened in the middle, I think it was like 4 a.m. or something like that when it originally kicked off. So there's a limited amount of time that people can, can survive in such cold conditions. But despite that, you know, even small kids were being pulled out. I saw know, re reports literally this evening that they were still rescuing people and families and children, and it's been a week. Well, yes, that that's that's the amazing thing about the human uh, the human body. It can obviously withstand incredible. Well, given what Carmen special... was into, and given what we're going to talk about for the rest of the morning, I'm wondering if world global consciousness attention for the well-being of these victims is somehow enhancing their survivability. Well, I would not rule it out, Richard. Uh... Well, when but you I, I exceed think... the normal limits and you get into the realm of miracles and there's not one or two, but there's dozens and dozens, you begin to see a trend curve. Well, yes, you can select information and create curves in all different directions. But yes, I am saying that there is a possibility. I would not rule it out. But I mean, I think also that the uh, one of the sort of positive attributes of, of Turkish uh, culture is they very quickly do pull together. Uh, and to help one another. So there have been huge efforts of people grouping together and you know, not even close by because a lot of people were not even allowed to go there. I know people that, um, I say I know, I know of people, one person removed, uh, who ha even had specialist drones with sort of uh, the ability to seek uh, temperature differences and so on. And uh, he had family there and he was gain trying to gain permission to go there and he was banned. He said, nope stay out of it. A lot of people wanted to go and help. They were asked to not go. And the reason was given that they may not be trained, they may not be, uh, they may cause more problems than actually the help they hope to give because they may be blocking the road or they may themselves become entrapped or 
and so on and so on. But one of the big questions to go back to one of your earlier points is the army were not initially let in to the area, which is very surprising at this stage. And that seems to be one of the decisions that the people don't necessarily agree with uh, the government's decision. Well, I heard there was a special earthquake fund set up for exactly this contingency, and I saw several reports, independent, and that it was funded literally, you're not going to believe this, to the tune of five U.S. dollars. I kid you not. Five. So someone, government-wise, drained that fund so there was no funds for rescue after, you know, national disasters like an earthquake. I mean, I'm, I'm not surprised the citizens of Turkey are, shall we say, asking very hard questions. Let me, let me make one more transition and then we'll go to our subject of the evening, which of course you are intimately uh, uh, you know, aware of and a relationship with, with our friend Carmen. <clears throat> On my item number three, uh, <coughs> there have been a lot of speculations this week as to this earthquake, actually a double earthquake, the first was a 7.8. The second was a 7.4, which is kind of, you know, in the similar range. Enormously energetic, enormously destructive. There were swirls in, in uh, social media that this was a directed harp strike by the U.S. government, which, of course, is absurd. Why would we be attacking Turkey with hyperdimensional weaponry? Makes no sense. However, this same week, there was a massive event on the sun, a literal polar vortex extending from 55 degrees uh, latitude uh, across the pole that erupted uh, at the middle of the week, uh, optically a couple of days after the earthquake, and I'll get to why this might be relevant momentarily. And it rotated in a vortex pattern around the north pole of the sun in eight hours at the equivalent velocity of 60 miles per second. Never before seen. Totally unknown. My model, as you know, is a hyperdimensional model, which is the sun and the solar system are connected at levels in the ether that we don't normally track and see that are non-electromagnetic. We have many examples <clears throat> of events happening on Earth and happening in the sun that were preceded by awareness of events so that it appeared to, quote, trickle down into the 3D electromagnetic realm. It is not beyond the realm of science, a future science that we'll get into in much more detail tomorrow night, that if we understood and made public the scientists' understandings of the hyperdimensional physics realm, we could develop a, a warning system, a network, which could be triggered by these hyperdimensional events that then manifest in 3D hours or days later, and people in dangerous areas, which are earthquake-prone, like Turkey, like northern Syria, could in fact be warned, and they could evacuate, just like we evacuate people now uh, in, 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 the, in the face of uh, hurricanes. And it wouldn't be a false alarm. It would be based on real, if rather extraordinary, science. And we could save countless lives, again, by opening the black ops people's vaults and libraries and records and science and making it available 
to Earth's civilian population. And that was one of the things that uh, Carmen's legacy was devoted to, exploring the domain and the encompassment of ancient science and the whole idea that we are maybe not the first, that we are a subsequent legacy civilization from a much higher level of human consciousness and productivity and scientific accomplishment and understanding, which in part has been lost and in part has been suppressed. And she was on the other side of midnight many times, at least three times, and Kinthea has nicely posted as items four, five, and six links to other appearances that Carmen made on the other side of midnight where we had many, many hours of extraordinary discussion into her vast and very multidisciplinary background and interests and her research, which came to the fore in a television documentary series called The Pyramid Code, which is available online, and you just have to Google The Pyramid Code. Uh, There's a link there to the Amazon, um, I think they're DVDs, uh, which are available. It was produced and directed by Carmen. She spent many years doing this. And in fact, um, there is a a, a soundbite I want to play that really, in her own words, encompasses what the Pyramid Code uh, summed up of her extraordinary investigations into the real ancient Egypt. I believe, Keith, you have that clip. We're having a bit of a technical difficulty here. Bear with us. I'm not hearing anything. Initially, in the ceremony of the weighing of the hearts, the deceased would meet Anubis, who would say, you're dead. Let's have your heart. We're going to weigh it against the feather of truth. If your heart was heavy because you had done something immoral, you weren't allowed to go to the other side. So the populace learned that they had to be light of heart in order to live well. The Amun priesthood had a lot of power, and they were in a position to have people pay for their salvation. It used to be that your heart was weighed against a feather of truth. But in later pictures of the ceremony of the weighing of the heart, you'll see Horus holding onto the scale. And you could pay the priesthood for Shakti dolls. And the more of them you had, the more likelihood you could buy the lightness of heart instead of being light of heart. Wow. Fundamental change in terms of how to live well. And I think that we still are living in that way. Wow. Profound, Timothy. Profound. Yeah, that, that's just one little excerpt. I, I've spent some time again watching that series this week. And, yeah, it uh, almost sounds to me, remember I was raised a Catholic, there, there used to be what they call dispensations. And at some point, by you know an offering or basically a bribe, 
you could buy dispensations from the church, which in older eras were freely given if you were repentant. I mean, it looks like humans keep replicating the same stupid Petrix over and over again. Absolutely. Uh, But again, if you follow the the series, it it does, and and let's go back, it it, it was created, I think, uh, first broadcast around 2009, I believe. And while some of the HD quality and so on have dated a little, I mean, you know, clearly technology has moved on, but pretty sure Carmen shot it in the best way possible at the time. But the story, that the words, the way it, it was written and the way it flows, that stays, uh, it remains a very, very watchable series and very informative series as well with all sorts of characters, um, some of which are not here anymore. For example, John Anthony West, and so on. Uh, but they're all making profound comments that actually really undermine the whole way that we, we look at society today. I think that you know, at this time, Carmen was highlighting a far more sort of pure, honest way of living. And uh, you know, e- even, even in the ancient culture's way of describing the word death, there was no word for death. Uh, the actual term comes from uh, westing, going west as the sun sets. And I believe there was a, a ceremony uh, at the end of people's physical life where they would, uh, certainly the pharaohs at least, I believe, would put into a boat and they would cross the Nile and they would uh, be taken across the Nile in the westerly direction at sunset. Well, that's why the pyramids were built on the west bank of the Nile, up and down the entire Nile Valley. Could be, could well be, but uh, that's if they were thinking they were tombs. But I think they were far more than that. Well, the idea. Well, right. Um, that's a long discussion for the rest of the morning. Uh, you and Kintia were deeply involved in Carmen's last film project. It turned out, unfortunately, which was going to be called the New Atlantis. I believe she shot uh, uncounted hours with again people like John, who are no longer with us. And she was on. She produced a lot of the program. Um, Kintia, you had some people in terms of her memorial on the web that had some amazing things to say about both Carmen's life, her research, and her other projects. Well, I, I do have some things that I wanted to share about her humanity, and I think we'll segue back to Timothy about the project. Um, I met, you know, Carmen first had an impact on my life when I was a young woman, and she wrote this book that came out in uh, March of uh, 1997, Angels and Archetypes, an Evolutionary Map of the Feminine, and she was a trailblazer. She was a very complex and multi-layered being. I you know, I didn't know her at that time, and my first introduction to her was working with you, Richard, and putting together the shows, and she was always so professional and highly detailed and um, careful about her work. She was very careful about her work, and I had a chance to get to know her better when Timothy and I were uh, exploring the New Atlantis project with her. So I 
I really wanted to touch upon the humanity of who she was. She she passed on when she was 67 years young. She had great vitality. Uh, at that time, she was living in Spain, and she loved riding her young white stallion. Really beautiful <laughs> horse. <laughs> mythical, very and, mythical. Yeah, yeah. A mythical lady, too. And uh, conversations with her would range... In broad spectrum conversations and I went to the site where there's a memorial site for her and I was touched by some of the comments because they really lend a flavor as to who she was as a being so this first one is so in keeping with what we just heard which is you know something here she's talking about westing and she has now wested. Uh, so I'm going to share this comment. This is from Bettina Forstner. One year in the other world. How I wish you would just send a long letter to us all telling us <laughs> how it is. What are you up to? Yes, our loss is big, but other world has won you to work on the vibrations so needed. And I know the great overview is key, where all senses have no limits. Thinking of you, I get the same text over and over again, as light as a feather, effortlessly with great care and compassion. This is how you'd go about things in this world or in another. As much as it hurts to remember your departure that day, for your cosmic vacation, knowing that you're added to the great minds of other world beings is ease on my mind. Hearts, alchemy is the bridge. I loved that passage. That was by Bettina. And here's another comment from Alana Ryan. In 2017, I went to Dr. Carmen Bolter's annual Spring Magic Egypt tour. One of the cool things about Carmen was that she incorporated the wisdom she received from her intuition and past life memories into her talks. Instead of going through main entrances, entrances or most popular tombs and temples, she would take us around the back through that, which was not really on display. We walked through a mango grove in the ruins of Abu Ghraib and the quartz crystal formation. Carmen encouraged us to tone as we stood in a circle with our hands on the altar. So she really enjoyed uh, toning. That's making sounds. Some of, some of you already know that. And uh, here's a comment that really touched me. This is by Marla Hedman. Drove by your house in Victoria the other day. Always remember the cute little house in Sunnyside Hill Hurst and your funky abode on the hill above Elbow River in Earlton District of Calgary. She was from Canada, by the way. Great meals and lots of laughs. Many candles lit. Great music always playing. And here's from Jennifer Cox. Carmen, I just went to leave a message, a birthday message for you, and realized it's been a while since we spoke. 
I Googled your name to find this. That's the obituary site. Oh, Carmen, my heart shattered. You were so good to me when I was a child. You were like a second mom. I forever will think about you and Galen. That was her son who passed away. I always hoped one day I'd see you again. Look for me in my next life. I know you'll find me. And that's really how I found out about Carmen. I wanted to get in touch with her again because it had been a while and I was shocked to find out she had passed. And here's another great comment by Bettina. Ah, that day when veils are thin and many hugs and spirit and laughters and dreams are on. We are unfold, we all unfold our spirit wings, these few nights to go visit and rejoice again, remembering our endless giggles and laughters on so many occasions and our almost daily rainbow letters, answering in yet another color. Egypt was each time so magical. And from Deb Anthony, Carmen, thinking of you today, and thanks for connecting in my dreams. Flying about with veil in hand made me remember your Women with Wings workshops. So she was very powerful influence in in uh, the divine feminist movement, and the in helping women to reclaim their awareness of the divine feminine. Yeah, let let's hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guests this morning for the first hour are Tim Saunders and Kinthea. We're having memories of Carmen and her fascinating and impactful uh, exertions in the lives of so many. When we return, I I think Kinthea should read a few more of those because these were the people that she talked to and she connected with and who she changed. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. The other side of midnight.com.
And welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, the 11th of February, 2023. Gosh, one month already gone. Tonight, we're remembering Carmen Bolter, who was a multifaceted, multi-talented, very aware and in-touch lady who touched so many lives, as you can tell from uh, the... Uh, memorializations that Kinthea has been reading from. I think what we're going to do is we're going to put that page at the end of my items tonight so that if you are listening to the show and you knew Carmen or knew of her work, primarily of the Pyramid Code, if not her books, uh, you can add your voice to those other voices that uh, have less memorials. Kinthea, do we have any, any more? Kinthea? Okay, I'm... Unmuting There helps. you are. There you are. <laughs> Sorry. I hoped it wasn't my board. I'm talking away. <laughs> I, you know, I have to say, one of the things that I really enjoy going through these comments is to see so many layers of her being, of her personality. Some of them very intimate and playful, and some of them referring to her professionalism. Uh, this one is from Anne-Marie Scherer. Carmen, what can be said now that you've left this place? You blazed so bright, so strong, so beautifully. My life was enriched by our friendship. And here's one from Jordan Banner. Carmen was a live wire, full of energy and stubbornness that made her a true force of nature. I'm grateful for her presence in my life and our interactions on the 2020 trip to Egypt. Uh, let's see, here's another one. This is uh, addressing Carmen and her son Galen who passed away. Loving Carmen and Galen was very easy. Both brilliant souls. Your lights of truth and wisdom will be long lasting and shining. I will visit you in the afterlife, and I know you will be waiting with a huge hug. Your earthly visits and wisdom will be missed, and we could sure value those. More shall be revealed to all of us who were lucky enough to know you. You will now have a new life and maybe come back to solve some of Earth's miseries. Well, I feel you are studying for assignments as a type. Love you forever. So it goes on and on, and we'll put this link in there. And I, I want to uh, just wrap up here before I pass it to Timothy and mention that I've been in touch with her sister, Adele, and Adele wanted us to let everyone know that Carmen's work, The New Atlantis, will be coming out. It'll be completed soon and be released in the near future. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Well, Cause she'd finished uh, I'm going to let Timothy talk about yeah, yeah, that's obviously, she had finished, I think, most of it shot, I don't know how many, uh, well, this is a perfect segue, Tim, you know, I've known you as an engineer, as a designer, as a guy interested in alternative physics and engineering, and, you know, cutting edge designs built, uh, looking at those themes, and then I found out that you really are a very talented filmmaker, in the old time vernacular of the use of that term, only with the modern, you know, video and digital materials and all that. And then you got a call one day 
out of the blue. Now, Kintia, of course, had one up on you because she had worked with Carmen on the show. We were so fortunate to have many, many hours of Carmen's legacy on the other side of midnight. So there, there's four, uh, three links, four, five, and six in my items for tonight um, uh, that relate to what she was doing and her philosophies and her wide-spectrum research. But you came in kind of late to the party, and at some point you got a phone call. Can you take us through? we got plenty of time. Take us through how you had the extraordinary pleasure and honor of meeting with Carmen. Well, Richard, it didn't happen quite like that, actually. I was somehow, I can't remember, but I was somehow part of one or more of the shows when Carmen was on the other side of Midnight. Uh, I don't know if I was commenting on something or was a guest or, or I say guest, co-guest or whatever <laughs> it was, but for some reason I was there. Part of our extended week. conversations, which is what this show really is all about. Yeah, and Kintia also was on, uh, I think well, certainly the show I'm thinking is the last show that she was on. And in the after party, we were picking up on some of the points and the sort of excitement that Carmen uh, was was sharing with us all and also broadcasting about her new series, The New Atlantis. And at that point, uh, I had just finished a, uh, a video production for a, a yacht owner in China, actually. And uh, Kintia played a significant part in that production as well, in sort of co-creating and also editing, which is qu- quite a big feat for us to do because it was um, the deadline was quite short, shall I say. Uh, so we need to be very creative very quickly. And I, I think we pulled it off, and I think the client was very oh, I, happy. Oh, I, 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 I've seen it. You definitely pulled it off. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much. So we, we were also enthused by that and sort of, you know, the way we were able to, you know, embrace the latest technology and uh, with the edit suites and so on. Um, in fact, it was you, Richard, who even suggested the editing app i remember it was you You said why don't you look at this it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's new it's interesting and it's and um, we did we, we well just... when, when you sit at the center of the spider web people send stuff to me all the time and i have to winnow out you know the noise from the signal and as soon as i saw this i knew you guys were involved in this china yacht thing and i said oh my god this has all the bells and whistles and the price is exactly right it was for free at least one version so I yes. introduced you guys, and you turned out to be able to play it like a harp, and it has turned out some amazing video from, from both of you. Well, thank you very much. I remember the uh, I in in looking at the owner's manual, uh, there was something like 2,000 pages. <laughs> and, uh, we just sort of <laughs> thought, well, one way is to start at the beginning. The other way is just to start editing. So we mm-hmm. did. Uh, and uh, it, it is actually a v- very good uh, edit suite with sound engineering and all sorts of things, color balancing everything inside. It's called DaVinci Resolve, if anybody would like to try it, by the way. But uh, moving on, so we, we were enthused by that, and Carmen was obviously enthused about finishing her new series. And uh, so we just hit it off at the end of the show and started talking about you know, possibilities. And that conversation uh developed quite quickly into over the next few weeks into Carmen inviting uh, myself and Kintia to to visit her in, in south of Spain, in Malaga, near Malaga. And uh, as Kintia was uh, half a world away 
and I was much closer. Uh, for me, it was only a, you know a two or three hour flight or something from Istanbul to to Malaga. Um, I went over there, and uh, Carmen basically put me up for I think it was slightly longer than a week. Oh wow! And uh, didn't she live in some remarkable place down the hill from some ancient henge or something? I don't know about that. I didn't see that. Uh, she didn't show that to me, but she did certainly drive me around and show me some of the sites, which were which were very pleasant, beautiful beaches. I remember villages. she was so happy to move from Canada to Spain. It was like finally it was coming home for her. Well, I guess so. Uh, it was it was certainly a very warm uh, warm in personality and warm warm country to live in. Warm culture, food was delicious. Um, and also, I'm just trying to get to the point, which is also very important. It was also very close to where her stable was. And uh, she had this, well, enormous stallion, um, incredible looking horse, incredible, you know, strong, aesthetic. I don't know how many hands, but huge, 16 plus 17. I don't know what it was anymore. But I mean, it was a horse that you would think, do I really want to get on this? Thing? <laughs> Sounds, and, sounds like and a, a Percheron. And a full-blown stallion as well. So uh, all the bells and whistles were indeed still attached, um, full of energy and therefore a little bit quirky as well. So it took somebody with courage to get on such a horse and uh, you know, gain control. And uh, I think Carmen had a special connection with that horse because you know she, she, she did gain control, but she did it in a, in a sort of a balanced way, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, I, I have memories of watching them uh, running around the dressage ring, walking, you know, starting, stopping, reversing up, backing up, as you like to say. But um, And also, while that's happening, uh, she used to have like a lesson a day with uh, instructors. Um, and it was not so much how to ride a horse, of course, she knew that very well, but it was more about how to... Um, gain the best performance, best behavior out of this particular stallion. So she was into dressage? Uh, yes. I mean, not, not just rambling around. No, absolutely. She wants to do it properly. Oh so uh, she was she was going around sort of like a, a dressage ring. She wasn't doing full competition dressage, but she was, you know, she was testing herself, testing the horse and, and trying to get the best out of that, that sort of, um, that friendship between them. And the horse, by the way, was called... Uh, Marito, and, oh, uh, and another important character in her life was her little dog called Bella, who I thought she was joking, but she, the, her dog Bella actually did have a selection of different colored sunglasses for different days. Of the what? Week. <laughs> oh my I, God. I don't, don't know what breed, I, I, sort of like, let's just say in the neighborhood of a Shih Tzu, that type of uh, smaller, long haired sort of pug face type dog. I don't know exactly which breed it was, but she was a big character. And uh, yeah, because of the UV and she had sensitive eyes and the sunshine there. So yeah, she did have, I don't know, three, four, five pairs of sunglasses, I guess. Oh my God. Robin used to love to buy Morella various coats. Like she had a Halloween coat, and she had a Christmas coat. You know, when 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 women particularly you know, relate to animals as people, and of course, Morella was a person. 
you know, there's there's nothing they won't do. So it's interesting, another facet of Carmen's character. That's absolutely that's absolutely true. Yeah, but but the reason for um, for visiting Carmen was to basically explore and brainstorm ideas of how to um, form, sculpt all of the the video and film she had. I say film, I say film because it was taken in a sort of traditional way, interviews, cutaway scenes and so on. But yes, it's all on high, you know, HD video. Uh, but she had hours and hours of this new video to make the new series. And of course, she had lots of ideas and lots of thoughts, and she'd written uh, a prelim preliminary script for it. But the reason uh, she invited me and, and also Kinthia, because Kinthia was also on uh, Skype, we did a, a few Skype meetings during that week as well, um, was to brainstorm, create, how would you convey that information? How would you put those ideas onto a screen? How would you visually tell the story as well as the music, as well as the, the the interviews and the cutaways themselves. So that was a fascinating way to to get to know her. And we literally spent every day uh, for, I guess it must have been six, seven, eight days or something, maybe slightly more, discussing, brainstorming how, how the information could be cut into different scenes, into different episodes, how many episodes, how long the episode should be, and so on and so on. And of course, how they, the music and how the sounds and how, we, how you would tell the story. So that was an absolutely fascinating experience. And we made very good progress um, for, for that week or so. Yeah, it, it's, um, I, I'm, I, I have no idea what stage the the new series is at the moment. I, I hear from Carmen's sister, Adele, that the series will be coming out soon. But I have to say that after that week, um, that this is going back to 2019, a, a lot of things happened in 2019 that sort of displaced people due to this uh, COVID so-called pandemic. And I ended up uh, disconnecting and not going further with that project at that time. I ended up being in Italy and uh, in America, and uh, <laughs> I couldn't get home for many months during that. Uh, I remember, yeah, vividly. Lockdown. You were stranded yes. in Florida, of all places. Terrible. It was terrible, yes. I spent a very humid summer in Florida uh, waiting for a launch. I got stranded myself in a quirky way, and I remember the sand and the beach and the humid you know, sea breezes, which were stronger than breezes, and... Yeah, I, I prefer to be in Florida during the winter, not not during the summer. Uh, so, did you guys talk when you were there with her for that week? How the New Atlantis, which of course was her model that we were looking through the eyes of Egypt at this mythical, you know, extraordinary civilization of Atlantis, first introduced in Western literature through Plato, actually through Solon, I think, quoting. Or was it Plato? Yeah, Plato quoting Solon. But, I mean, to her, the embodiment of an ancient, extraordinary epic in human history that has been basically lost, if not actively suppressed, was a very concrete reality. And I'm curious, how was she going to build the New Atlantis series uh, around this idea compared to the Pyramid Code, which kind of introduced it in her research 
Well, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I've, I freshly watched The Pyramid Code. I watched it, in fact, we watched it together when I was in Spain. Uh, I said, we should definitely watch The Pyramid Code because we need to sort of refresh our minds and see, you know, which way to go from there with the new Atlantis. And uh, she said she'd seen it so many times, she couldn't, <laughs> couldn't watch it one more time. And I said, let's, let's do it differently then. With watch feelings. It let, yeah, we, let, we watched it backwards. Let's watch it backwards. <laughs> I was just going to say, yes, why not? So we watched the last episode first and, and, you know, we went all the way through. And it was a way of sort of note taking, but also see it in a different way. I mean, she hadn't, I think, think she had watched it backwards before, but we, we did. So for the listeners who have not seen it, I can highly recommend it. I, I've watched it again this week and it, it still carries a very strong message and oh i've watched a million of these you know history channel and ancient mysteries and all it's it's unique it's it's the it's the egypt documentation at the edge of forever that you really have never seen until you watch carmen's tour de force Mm -hmm. so one of the key characters obviously apart from carmen in in this uh first Ah, series him him, was Abdel Hakim Awyan, I'm probably pronouncing his name incorrectly. Her incredible guide. Yeah, Hakim. Now, he he was a really big character. (laughs) And unfortunately, uh, he, I mean, he he, was, give me a little bit of context. He was trained as an archaeologist in Europe, but he grew up as a kid in the Giza Plateau. So he used to run around all the tunnels and all the things which are now, you know, long walled off, fenced off and con- concreted up. That was his playground when he when he grew up with his friends. Hmm. So he had an intimate knowledge of uh, the Giza Plateau and then was educated in Europe as an archaeologist and then came back as a, uh, an archaeologist and guide. So that's very special knowledge. Also, because he was um, born, I, I, I don't know a huge amount this, about, about this guy's biography, but because he was born um so so close by and he was taught uh even a different version of egyptian language so he was taught by his elders by word of mouth so along the way he had a very very different insight into what the pyramids were all about had a very different insight into what the various hieroglyphics mean as well Mm. Uh, so he had an awful lot to say and an awful lot to offer, and, and he had a very a huge charisma. I mean, when he comes on screen, the screen would light up. Um, so he was clearly a key player, and Carmen had lots of video of him, um, where he, which was which was not actually included in the first series in the Pyramid Code. So I was fascinated by that. That's one of the things I started looking at early on. I was looking through the rushes of. Of Hakim. Do you know how much of her older material, again, people that were no longer with us, she was planning to put in the new Atlantis compared to the code? Well, Richard, when I arrived, we literally laid out all of the information, you know, on the on sheets of paper on the floor, on the table, on desks. We looked at the <laughs> videos we were watching just to see what she had. She had a huge amount of information. And there was... Basically, most of the information was new. I say new, new, it not been yet broadcast for the new series. But, and she knew the story she wanted to tell, she wanted to go through certain milestones. But the key thing was how to, how to tell the story. So 
I was suggesting that uh, we should let Hakim tell the story. Ah. Despite the fact that he'd passed away just before the Pyramid Code was even broadcast, which is a very sad part about the story because he never actually saw it on air, as far as I know. He literally died within days before it went on well, air. Well, at least not in this dimension, but... <clears throat> okay, so therefore there was a lot of information because he sort of became quite a bright shining star of the first series that I thought it would be great if we could make him tell the story or it certainly create the interludes between the different chapters or different points mm. or different uh, uh, episodes of the series. So we, we're looking at that as a concept. And of course, when when you bring somebody who has is, is, is passed out of this dimension onto essentially uh, narrate, not narrate, but certainly sort of uh, partially narrate the new series, then we're restricted with how much information we actually had. So so we went looking through that, yes, there were comments and statements and things he said, which could indeed be very useful to to guide not guide the, the new series. So it's kind of like the, the glue between segments. Exactly, exactly. And then how visually, well, of course, we had video. We didn't want to show him as sort of a full frame um, sort of interview. So we had this idea that Carmen was a great believer in orbs. Oh. And she had... She had lots of photographs of orbs around the pyramids and inside the Great Pyramids and so on. She had video of these orbs. We were also looking at those as well. Fascinating. Um, you know, some people can say they're particles of dust flaring up in, in bright light. Other people can say it's lens effects. And sometimes you just cannot explain them. It, it is odd how this thing will independently, this, this little semi-translucent orb will float around the frame and seemingly have no connection to reality. So... She, she believed the orb was a, a uh, what can we say, a... A messenger a from another place. Yeah, yeah. A, a ripple in time, something which is just poking through the veil, that type of thing, a messenger from another time, why not? <laughs> so, so I suggested that why don't we make um, Hakim appear on the screen oh, in an orb. Oh, in not, an orb. But not necessarily like, you know, dancing around like a, like a ping pong ball or something, but, you know, in a very graceful, elegant sense. Just with a kind impact. of an impending aura. Yes. Wow. Yes. So. What a she, cool she loved, idea. Well, she loved that idea. And we were then, you know, at that point as well. I mean, in one room, we had all these papers and lying around all over the floor, the desks and everything to sort of, you know, dot together the, the series. In the other room, I set up. Uh, an edit suite for her. And in fact, she had the same Mac that I did, uh, Macintosh that I did, quite a powerful one at that. And uh, so I set that up for her. I mean, she knew how to set it up, but I set it up for editing. And so I installed the same app on there. And then on the other side of the room, on another desk, I set my, my Macintosh up. Oh, so she had DaVinci 2 to work with. Well, after I arrived, yes, I downloaded Excellent. it. Excellent. Excellent. So, at the, you know, before I left, at the end of the week, we had two edit suites in one room and we were, <laughs> you know, up, up and running um, to actually start work. And the idea was that I was going to go back to, to Turkey and, and Kintia with the same setup would be in uh, San Francisco. And between the three of us, we would bring it all together. Wow. Well, so, we're not limited uh, to 3D uh, dimensionality anymore. No, no. So I'm, I'm kind of focusing on, on 
many points at the same time, Richard. Would you like to offer some direction? Which way would you like to go? Well, we got about four minutes to the top of the hour, and we're going to bring on Barbara Honiger, who knew and worked with um, Carmen at a different level, uh, a more occult level, a more deep time level. Um, I'm just intrigued with how this this next project, in other words, talk about why she wanted to call it the New Atlantis as opposed to the Pyramid Code. Also, we should not forget Kintia. Kintia, would you like to come on as well? Because I'm I'm talking a lot and I'm not hearing you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're doing a great job. I was going to say, really, why? If you remember, I, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, <laughs> I just want to add that, you know, I thought it was just so wonderful that we could be across the ocean, editing a film together, with this app, you know, and meeting on Skype. It was like I was right there, even though I physically wasn't there. I was there. And um, just listening to Carmen and her ideas and how she thought about things, as a creative being myself, I really appreciate it. She was always out of the box. She would she would uh, see an insight that others didn't see. And so it was, I thought, very exciting to be participating in this and and co-creating i really enjoyed it so back to you timothy <laughs> so out of all of the information which it took it took literally two or three days probably three days to go through just to even not, not watch every every rush every every interview but just to understand you know, that's drone footage those interviews that's with these people we also the next thing was to do was i was trying to identify what was missing um, in order to join all of the dots together to make a cohesive series. So one of the suggestions was that uh, due to the, you know, the storyline that Carmen wanted to, to, to map out, there was a milestone missing at that particular point. Um, so I suggested, well, why don't you contact Graham Hancock and see if he'll do mm. a little interview because then we can glue that section with that section and that would also, you know, I'm sure he would appreciate as well the, the, the exposure. So, you know, part of that week there was also tracking down Graham and uh, sending an email, you know, creating an email, not giving too much information, but giving enough information so that he'd want to feel that he wants to collaborate and so on. And indeed, uh, I think before the week ended uh carmen actually had confirmation that uh, the meeting was on and she was going to give a talk in the uk anyway so i remember we, we uh trying to work out how she could buy the camera the video camera because she had many cameras of course mm. but she needed something uh, i'll tell you what hold bit. it there we're at the top of the hour my guest this morning for the first segment of our memorial to an absolutely amazing woman a friend a colleague a visionary who I hope is upstairs looking at what we're doing and smiling. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. Our tribute to Carmen Bolter will return. Thanks for listening to this exciting first hour. Now, the second and third hour of the show is available to Club 19.5 members only. 
Please support the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 and join our very interesting community. To do that, please visit the website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the left-hand column. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.